Welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth from the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side, And in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm Kurt Dupuy. As always, you can reach out to us at thewholetruth at touchstonefunds.com if you have ideas or want to shoot us an email. And also subscribe so you make sure to get all the latest episodes. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. So, Kurt, I'm going to start this episode with a couple of stories that I think will resonate with with you and our audience. So two stories here. Story one, person, F.A., wholesaler, gets on a plane and flies out to a wonderful conference. They're staying at a nice hotel. They're excited because they've got this this beautiful slate of meetings that they're going to attend uh, and it's going to make their business better. And they show up for those meetings over a course of a day or a couple of days. And they've got their notebooks and they're writing furiously. And they get back on that plane and they head towards their office and they, they're, they're ready to go. They have ideas. They're going to make their business better, right? So we'll say the following Monday, they go back in with wonderful intentions. That notebook um, goes on their desk and then the phone starts ringing. And their assistant starts coming in. And they got a sick kid. And they got a sick kid. (laughs) And that notebook sits there. And maybe Mm. they say something about it to their their assistants or their partners. We really got to do that. But ultimately... No one ends up doing anything with it. Is that is that something that's, uh, that's familiar way too to you? familiar? Way too familiar. I, I even ask like folks that go to conferences where I am not involved or I am involved with it. It's like you know you always ask me like what are your one or two takeaways? But you yeah. know I've I've never actually followed up with them six months later to be like did you do anything with your takeaways? Did, did right. anything happen with this? Because I think we all would, would know what what the answer might be. Yeah, I'm guilty of it too. By the way, we all are. Um, okay. Here's scenario two. You're working at firm XYZ. They have wonderful resources, uh, to help you with your business. So, you know, you attend lunch presentations. They may have coaches for you that help you with your business, et cetera, et cetera. You may even set up some individual meetings through those individual meetings. Again, you have these wonderful takeaways. You want to make changes in your practice. The coach then gets back on the plane or the car and moves away and then the phone starts ringing. So you see where I'm going with all this. I do it. It's, it, it hits very close to home. I mean, I've I've been I'm almost forty, so I'm you know a good decade and a half plus into my career. Like, how many of those little nuggets have you picked up along the way that you just did nothing with? We do have a a couple of thoughts, um, and ultimately um, a tool that we can help advisors with to prevent this from happening, and maybe also some helpful ways to think about it. What we're getting at here and what Kurt's what Kurt's speaking to and, and the story that I laid out is all about how do we, you know, you've got these good ideas, you have these things that you want to do to make your practice better. How do you actually execute on that? And I and I will tell you, I'm a little bit nervous sharing this over over the airwaves here, Kurt, because this is really when it comes down to, you know, our practice consulting work, this is really the secret sauce. This is what has made us better than than the tons of other quote unquote practice management tools you could use is we're really good about having people take action. Yeah. And we're and we're the boots on the ground that are that are helping with that action, right? We're not some home office resource that has maybe some tangential connection with with the advisor who's trying to implement something. Yeah. 
and a lot of how I and I think we think about this, um, you know, there, there's a, a book that actually someone at my gym started talking about called Atomic Habits, written by a guy named James Clear. And it's all about forming new habits. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talk about that's practice related, it's not really habit forming, you know, maybe it's, it's a campaign. It's something that you do for a quarter or two to get you where you want to go. It's not necessarily a, a, a entirely new habit that's helping you transform as a person. But I think there's some pertinent lessons in his writing that, uh, that, that can apply here. So, and, and actually he wrote the book, Atomic Habits. Feel free to check that out. But there's also a great eight minute compressed video on YouTube. If you want to check out some of some of his thinkings, but one of his, his key thoughts, and he intros a lot of talks this way is if you just get 1% better at something every day, you would be 37 times better than said thing in one year. Wow. And so because we talk about incremental change, you know, I I think that's worth noting like the math behind that, right? If you could, if you quantify 1%, that's difficult to do, but if you could quantify that 1% change daily, how much progress you could make. So the the opportunity here is is extraordinary. Yeah, that's a key point. And we'll talk about, you know, that slow progress that you're talking about. But but Atomic Habits is a book that I've been recommended by several FAs. So the audience should definitely check that out. But let me give you an over, uh, overview here because what we're getting into is how do you take that idea and actually execute or implement them? And here's how we think about it. And it's kind of a framework with three components. The first is, Turn the idea into goals. The second is slow, methodical implementation. And the third is an element of accountability. Those are the three elements that we've seen work. In researching this episode, uh, you know, did a fair bit of Googling and reading around. And it, it, it really struck me, if you just Google how to execute on an idea, there's, there's no shortage of articles that are, that are out there. Not really pertinent to what we're talking about uh, for advisors, but you know, there, there, there are plenty of articles. It struck me though, as very trite, uh, kind of superficial um, and really just, just not impactful. But the first point that we're going to talk about turning ideas into goal seemed to be a thread throughout. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the way I would put that is just put your goals on paper write stuff down. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's take that first one, you know? And we'll use an example, uh, something that we work on with FAs. Well, well, we'll use two examples here that we work on with FAs. FAs moving to more towards an advisory model or, you know, cleaning up from an investment perspective. Those are two things that we do a lot. So what do I mean? So let's say you want to improve in both of those areas. You want to have a higher percentage of your business and advisory, or you want to clean up your book and just get more efficient on the investment management side. What does it mean to set goals? Well, let's take advisory. You could say, I'm at 20% advisory right now. Uh, I know that I can offer something that will better my clients' lives with, with with that advisory relationship. So I want to improve by 10% before year end. Or I want to convert X number of households to advisory before year end. You see, we're getting into specifics. And you think about, let me let me take example two, the investment side. Well, I want to clean up my investments. Well, what does that mean? Well, I may have you know 300 mutual funds and by year end, I want it to have 
220. You see the difference in that? The difference is I want to get better on this, but to immediately get to the specific and put goals down on paper, that mm-hmm. starts that process. That gets that initial yeah. tailwind going. Yeah, it really has to do with yeah, your your intentions to implement something. And, uh, you know, God, I've, I've been guilty of this plenty, is I think a lot of people wait for almost like this fairy or muse to strike them with inspiration and motivation just to get going with something when really a much better approach is to just have a plan. Yeah. Write down the who, the what, the when, write it down on paper. Uh, you're you're way more likely to execute on it. Yeah, get it down. And uh, you know, I know we're in a digital world, but don't put that someplace, you know, in your in your on your computer, in your email where it's gonna be swamped by everything else that's around you. You know, really kind of yeah. get those goals down where you can see them. And there, there's a really interesting ep- exercise that James Clear talks about, and, and it's called a failure pre-mortem versus a post-mortem where, you know, if you're undertaking a big task and if, if it's that important to you, think through the hurdles that you might run up against in the next six months. So put yourself in, you know, six months future you and say, you know, what, what were the roadblocks that prevented me from doing this that really help you when you're on that path towards progress, you've already identified them you probably will have a strategy for getting around them, whether it's some behavioral thing or whether it's 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 some accountability or just hyper-specificity with your plan. You'll get past those hurdles and be way more likely to to accomplish the task. So I think it's a really, really interesting idea that of is failure pre-mortem. Um, yeah, I'm going to be faced with this. What do I do when that actually happens? Yeah, let's get ahead of it. That's a really good point. Okay, so we've got our goals down on paper. We've taken that idea and put into goals. What's you want to take? You know, number two in that, which is which is how we think about actually executing once we write down our goals. Yeah, so we really emphasize, like Steve said, slow, methodical implementation because, and this really fits into that kind of one percent way of thinking is. We don't expect anyone that we're working with or for to completely upend the way they do things on a day-to-day basis. That's not ever what we're talking about. We're really empathetic and sympathize with the fact that the advisors that we work with, they have lives, they have businesses that are typically going okay um, to, to good to begin with. So we just think it's important to to take an idea or take one of those goals and slowly implement it over time. We build our plans around that too. We don't expect someone to spend half of their day for weeks or months implementing these ideas. Yeah. I, I, you guys are busy people out there. You know, I I've come across so many FAs when we're talking about making change or working on a goal and they're so aggressive and, and ambitious. And I will tell you, like, let's use the investment cleanup, for example. Oh, I'm going to clean up, you know, 70 funds within the next couple of weeks. I'm just going to go through and plow it. I love that enthusiasm. It's great. It just never happens. And it's and not realistic. I, I'd rather do something that doesn't disrupt your business. But when we look back, you know, six to 12 months, we've made some, some real progress. And I'll tell you something that's really funny that I come across. I think it's funny is I like to create something I call embarrassing goals. Have you ever, have I talked to you about this before? Huh? I know I've never done that. Okay. So, so let's say you're talking Again, we'll, we'll we'll use one of our examples. You want to convert to uh, accounts to advisory or talk to clients about advisory. So I'll say, how many how many people can you call? How many households can you call in the next five weeks? And they'll say to me, oh, you know, let's put five households down. You know, one a week. 
And then I said, and then I usually take that and I knock it down even more. And I'd say, what about you just have two conversations with households in the next five weeks? And they look at me and they're like, that's ridiculous. Like I can knock that out in a day. Why would, why would it take me five weeks to do it? And what I'm trying to get- Is this even worth my time if I'm only doing it? Yeah. What I'm trying to create is a scenario where when I come back in, and this will get to our point of accountability, when I'm back in that office, they should be slightly, not slightly, they should be embarrassed if they don't do those goals. I love goals like that. I'd rather set goals like that all day long than, than do something that's, you know, call 50 households this week, you know? Yeah. Do people get embarrassed and respond accordingly? Yes. Yeah. I mean, think about if we talk about that and they're like, are you serious? And then how you would feel if you showed up at the next meeting and didn't do that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of gets into the point that, you know, item three, which is accountability, which is a really important part of the process. Yeah. But, you know, just researching and Googling around and trying to paint a, a broader picture of this, there, there were a couple of themes uh, accountability was a huge theme. You know, if it's entrepreneurs starting a business, it's kind of the advisory group they have around there, which I think there's something really a- a- applicable or thoughtful there that that could actually help advisors. But uh, accountability is paramount. So whether whether that's us, a, a wholesaler, whether that's a colleague that's a couple offices down, whether it's your mother-in-law, it doesn't matter. But accountability is paramount with executing on goals and ideas. That's exactly right. So to sum up our framework for this, and I want everyone out there to use this next time you go to a conference, next time you have that great idea, those three pieces. Steve Sides, three steps to success. Yes. my, my <laughs> Another framework that we developed. Surprising. I say we. Yes, I am. And I know you I know you hate articles like that too. So I'm, I'm sure, I'll be sure to overbrand you like that. I know. I know. I should probably say advisors must or advisors have to. Yeah. You, go back to the episode where I ranted on some of that. Um, Okay, so no, the the but next time you have that idea, next time you go to the conference, again, there's the three the three uh, pieces. One is turning that idea into goals. Two is slow, methodical implementation, and the third is accountability, uh, bringing that into the process. So we've got those three pieces. So how do you actually do it? You know, we have a tool for that. You can reach out to us at the whole truth at touchstonefunds.com, and it's a very basic what we would refer to as an action plan. So I want everyone to picture this in your head. You can develop it yourself or certainly get it from us. The first thing that we do is is we have, you know, it's a fairly simple Word document. Again, we're always about simplicity here. You've got your goals on top. Where do you want to be? What's that future state? Be specific, okay? Then you have a section that says, what are the strategies to achieve those goals? So what does that mean? Let's say, for example... I'm doing investment cleanup. My goal may be to reduce by 20% over X time period. So what are the strategies to the, to achieve those goals? One is I may evaluate, you know, the accounts themselves and identify which counts are most ready to be cleaned up, right? That's a strategy. So then you have your strategies. Now here's the critical part next to the strategies, you're going to have immediate next steps. So this is the strategy that we're doing. What am I doing next with that strategy? Who is doing it? Actually put the name down on paper. And what is the due date? Does you follow me, Kurt? So you've got- That all makes it real. Yeah, it's tough to escape that. You can't, it's all, right? It's all down on paper. So then once you put that whole thing you know, down on paper 
And then you bring in the element of accountability. Now you've got something that's really starts to get those wheels moving towards execution. And and I'm a dork too. And, uh, you know, several people that I've worked with could, could attest to that. Um, I like laminating stuff. Look at you. So, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, whatever it is, really, yeah. if, if, if something is important enough to laminate it, to me, it, it just heightens the importance. So as, as we work through teams and we start developing these plans and getting to the execution phase, I just find that anything laminated is more liable to stay on the back of somebody's desk and not shoved away in some uh, shelf somewhere. So um, it's the little things. It, it is. Yeah. And I, I wanted to make w- one other point about implementing change. Uh, th- this is an, another James Clear ism. He makes the point that the only reason we do anything, the only reason we repeat any behaviors is because we like the reward from doing said behavior. Yeah. I mean, have you ever had chocolate cake, right? It, it, it tastes delicious. The reward is you're eating delicious chocolate cake, but have you ever tried to start exercising after being a sloth for six months? Good point. That's way tougher. Yeah. So, so he's really big on just creating rewards in the moment, but because we're taking journeys that sometimes last three to six months or longer, it's really important to to create some little rewards at the beginning, whether it's just the satisfaction of checking something off the list or something that I've also kind of dangled out there with, with teams is let's, let's have our whatever two week, five week check-in. If you've accomplished what we said, we're going to accomplish, you know, we, we can, we, we can have a happy hour, a glass of a, a bottle of wine, you know, some, something yeah. where you know that I'm not doing this uh, just, because it's written on a paper, I know there's a tangible reward there's coming. A reward. I love it. Yeah, that probably should have been part of the framework. It's. I think that's that's critical. Okay, so let, let's talk about takeaways from this segment. Um, the first is, by the way, you can reach out to Kurt and I and say, hey, we're just starting or we're thinking about doing this with their business. Help us with execution. Know that we are here to do that, okay? But for, for in terms of just summarizing what we covered, the first was that execution uh, framework that I just went through. So think about that, write that down, use that the next time. The second is you can get to us and we'll give you a sample action plan that you could, you could start using. That's it. Reach out to us if you want an action plan and and, and crucially put it down on paper somewhere and find somebody to help you hold accountable, whether that's us or someone else. Yeah. So we're going to do something fun in the next segment. I'm really excited about it. We're going to get into the mailbag. This is the whole truth. Stick with us. And welcome back, everybody. We're going to get into our mailbag. And you can email us at the whole truth at touchstonefunds.com if you want us to cover a topic. Um, anything you want us to, to see covered on the show, give us a shout. Sometimes those topics will be entire shows and we'll build a show around something that you suggest. And other times we'll do it just like we're going to do here with the mailbag. So, Kurt, I think we have three questions to go through. So I'll let yeah. you. I'll play mailman and then I'll, I'll, I'll grill you uh, and, and let you take a stab at some of these. So this first one's a tough one. Um, and man, if, it, if anyone has a, a perfect answer for this, I'd be surprised. But a client wants to incorporate investments outside of your core philosophy. What do you do? Yeah. So it's, you know, you've got your models and they say, hey, I want to own this stock or I want to own this type of investment. And it's, 
something. I'm really into Bitcoin. I'm really into Bitcoin or something like that. Yeah. How do you do it? Uh, um, and and you're right. This is I, I'm going to do my best to answer it, but it really is very much situational. The first thing that that I would say is um, you can always feel free to challenge your your clients. So there's a book that's out called The Challenger Sale, which you know w- we'll do a whole episode on that because it's it, it's a it's a really good topic, but. People want to be led. They don't necessarily want to steamroll their advisors. So the first thing I would say is you can feel free to challenge your client on a particular idea. So that's the first thing I would say. Mm-hmm. The second thing I would say is what is the type of client that we're dealing with here? If it's a tier C or a tier D client, um, I'd probably push back pretty hard on this and say, listen, um, I don't want to have something that I'm not going to follow uh, and I'm not going to cover. We spend a lot of time with our portfolio management process and you know we're not just going to put random things that we're not going to follow because that's not our job to do it or that's you know not going to be beneficial. So both sides of the table, right? Fee compression is a trend we're all seeing. Yeah. So that's forcing advisors to run more streamlined, optimized practices. So yeah. that means on the platforms they use, on the products they use. And so, uh, and I, I think it's okay to, to to tell clients about that. It's like, I can't be all things to all people. Uh, we've spent a lot of time and effort getting to this point where we do business this way. And this is why. And, you know, a, a, what, we, what I've found is that the more that teams and advisors have got buy-in from their clientele. Even if if those clients are experiencing that transition with them, the more buy-in they have, way more likely to take that advice and not kind of go off off the ranch. Very good point. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to having, I mean, I, I have clients myself that are, they pull things out of, of left field and, uh, it, and I understand it's a delicate balance, but uh, in a fee compression world, having centralized, well thought out, practice is, is just going to be the way of the future. Yeah. I, and and I, I think that's a really good point. And back to the point of challenging, I've had clients come up to me with Touchstone Fund X, Y, or Z that they've screened out and looks good on paper. And it's really easy to take that sale. But if I don't necessarily believe that that's likely to continue, I will push back and say, you could do it. But the stuff that I bring to you, I spend a lot of time making sure the best that I can, that it's going to be a great client outcome. This, I, I can't guarantee that. Because your name's on it. So that's right. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'd, I'd rather bypass a sale and, and you know, have that relationship than, than get the quick sale. You know, the, the last thing that I would say about this though, is that there's just, with all that being said, there is a certain number of those types of investments that you could take. I'm not talking about something that you completely disagree with. That's different. But if 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 a really solid client comes to you like think about an A or a high end of a B tier and they have, you know, a stock that they want to own that you didn't suggest to them, there's a number that you can take to do that. I think the point is you don't want to get that completely out of control where you have all these one-offs. And two, you want to make it clear that this is not part of what you're doing. You're going to do yes. this for them. Yeah, articulate but, that this is a one-off. This is this, this is, is not the core competency of what I do for clients. I think that's yeah. that's fair. 
Yep. So that's how I'd answer that question, but I'd emphasize the challenger sale for a lot of those situations. Okay. All right. Digging back into the mailbag. Uh, we've also got the question, uh, how did the podcast start and why was it you two that started doing this at your firm as, as opposed to anybody else? I love this question. Um, <laughs> uh, love this question. So our firm has been investing heavily in, in business consulting capabilities. And not only are we doing that at the firm level, but there's subgroups of wholesalers at our firm that actually are getting together um, to build out our capabilities and brainstorm and trade ideas. Because the truth is, there's a lot that our firm can do, but the wholesalers are the ones that are in front of the FAs, seeing the problems, seeing the challenges, you know, implementing this stuff. So we had subgroups working on this stuff. And I will just say that I found even though there was about, I don't know, how many of this in that group? Chris, maybe a dozen Ten, wholesalers. A dozen, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit less than half of our of our force. Even though there's a bunch of us on this group, I just found that Kurt and I tended to be the ones that would put a lot, most of our more energy in a lot of cases um, that would connect after the calls and start talking about ideas. Kurt and I just had this different relationship that, that, you know, we collaborated really well. And then I got really into listening to podcasts and I got this crazy idea. So I said, Kurt, what do you think about that? And yeah, I know you can respond. What did you think when I came to you with that idea? Well, yeah, but you, you know, those, like those, those people that you work with that, you know, as soon as you get off of like a company wide call or, you know, the, you're at a conference, the meetings break. And, you know, you know, the person you want to go talk to, like, hey, did you hear this? Well, what do you think about this take? Or what do you yeah. think? That, Steve and I just sort of started developing that. Um, and then what I, I think what Side's really saying is that on of these internal calls with our smaller group is I was the loudest voice. <laughs> <laughs> and so so he thought um, maybe re- recording some of our banter back and forth and some of our sharing of ideas might be applicable for the for the folks that we're trying to, to help and do business with. But when I brought the idea to you, did you? What was your immediate oh. impression? You could be honest about it. Did you well, think I was so like? So I've I've always largely been guided by this idea of, of pushing myself outside of my comfort zone, and immediately when you brought this up, you know that feeling that you get in your stomach where it's 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 excitement layered with a a, a level of nervousness. That's yeah. exactly what I had, and then and and. and Every time I've kind of had that feeling, I felt like something good was going to happen after that. So, and I think I told you in that first call, I was like, look, I, I'm, I'm scared to hell with this, but let's give it a go and see, see what shakes out. Yeah. And we just came to the conclusion there wasn't much of a downside, you know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was just, it was time, which is important, but we were going to get better doing it. And we had this incredible support along the way. And yeah, I just thought Kurt also had uh, just a, just a wonderful voice for radio. That's, that's why you're here. Very true. Know. My mother's always told me that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Well, last one going deep into the mailbag. And this is a big one. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll actually have some guests that we'll, we'll have on the show that dig into this more, more thoroughly. But the, the, the question, I mean, this is kind of a question that comes up. Uh, every now and again with with clients, uh, what does wholesaling look like in ten years? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a good question. Um, I'll tell you what what it's not going to be. It's not going to be the wholesaler that's primarily focused on 
hosting lunch meetings and buying drinks and taking people out to steak dinners and selling five-star funds that they know at the superficial level. You know, my favorite um, phrase from from wholesaling, like maybe in the 80s or 90s, I've never actually seen this, but apparently fact sheets used to be laminated or have a really glossy sheen. Yeah. So people would say they would, they would flip them their slick. They were called slicks. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, flip them their slicks. Yeah, I I, I think that's dead. Um, slicks are gone. Slicks are gone. So that's number one. That those people are going to be gone. I think there's going to be industry consolidation. Yeah. Right now, we know there's a lot of wholesalers that are out there. I think there is likely to be less of them, and I think they're going to be of of higher levels. So much better on the investment side or on the product side if you're on you know annuities or something else, like really good on the product side. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to be much better about adding value in a way that we're discussing here, which is practice consulting and solving the needs of of advisors. Again, people are trying to do that now. I just think they're doing so very superficially. And, and I think it's got to be a lot more than that. So that's what I'd say. I'd say there's going to be industry consolidation, less of us, but those that are around are going to be of a, of a much higher level. And I also want to make the point because some people will say, oh, our wholesalers are going away. No, they're not. They, they can't. You know, I, mean, I don't, I don't see how that happens. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just what, what we do can be a really valuable thing. And if they don't exist, I think the firms will be in trouble, but also I think FAs will miss the insight that that wholesalers bring. Yeah, so that's I, how it ends. I see a, a, a few different trends. Uh, so, and the first is deeper product knowledge. That's no surprise. Um, so, CFA, SEMA, you see on more and more uh, on the back of uh, or CFP or you know, there's a multitude of designations out there. I think that's a trend that that will continue. That ad- advisors expect wholesalers to go deeper. But I also there's, I think there's another trend where the wholesaler is almost more of the quarterback for the territory and not just the the lone wolf that's out there hunting on his own. Yeah. So bringing in portfolio managers, external resources, internal resources, um, uh, you know, you, you you're almost more of the, the relationship quarterback guy, which I know kind of goes contrary to the product. Uh, but I mean, because people want to hear. From directly from the PM, so PMs are traveling more. Client PMs are getting out, so it's as much being a quarterback for the territory and being able to pass the ball off rather than just being that that lone wolf contributor. Um, I see that continuing. Yeah, um, and and that reminds me of something I didn't bring up, which is territory structure. So some mm-hmm. firms right now are playing around with, you know, do you have the wholesaler that has bigger territories and have more? junior people supporting you or, you know, does the wholesaler partnered with someone like Kurt's describing like a specialist in there? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think those, some of those models will be experimented with yeah. as well. Cause, cause there, there's no um, hum, one homogenous way to do that right now. Uh, everyone's kind of tinkering. Um, and the, the, the last thing that, that I see, it's really all driven around value add and digital engagement, right? So I think what we're doing with this is going to be the way of the future. I think advisors are more and more going to look to third-party asset managers or, or third-party and asset managers to to keep them update via, updated via 
LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Facebook, yep. maybe podcasts, you know, taking your message to the audience digitally in a way that you haven't seen widespread adoption in our industry yet. Yeah. I, I mean, think about how innovative we're being by this podcast. I mean, a lot of the industry is doing the same thing that they did 15 years ago. And I think, I think with the new mediums, it doesn't always have to be that in-person meeting um, you know, where you're handing physical materials across the desk and things like that. So yeah. um, they actually have a hundred percent digital wholesalers now. I've I've, see, I've seen. I don't know the name of of any companies that do that, but all of their meetings are are, are digital. So that's a really good point. And we're going to close up the mailbag. I will say, Kurt, I hope we do a lot more of these because uh, I love mailbags and yeah. shape form and, and keep the and questions coming. So. Keep the questions coming. The whole truth at touchstonefunds.com. Costanza Corner is next. This is The Whole Truth. Stick with us. And welcome back, everybody. We are in our Costanza Corner, and I know Kurt's got a good one. This will be simple, but certainly uplifting. Yeah, we're gonna we're definitely going to close on a high note, albeit a slightly sleep-deprived high note. Um, we talked about uh, several episodes ago that we were expecting, well, baby number three and first boy of the Dufui family has finally arrived. Congratulations, my friend. First boy. How does that feel? Uh, it, 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 it's oddly familiar. It's it, it, kind of all the same at the beginning. A lot of diapers, a lot of bottles. I've got a question for you with a boy. I have a girl. Um, and I've I, in my head with her, I've already tried to pick out the sports that I'd like her to play. Oh. How have you handled sports with your kids? And did that differ from your girls to your to now your son? Uh, I mean, he he's very young, so he's not doing anything, obviously. But and no, but, but I mean, how girls, you're thinking about it? Like, like, do you say, oh, I'd like my my Benji, right? I'd like Benji when he gets older to play, you know, basketball and and baseball. Well, quite honestly, I, I would just be. <laughs> very interested in a kid that wanted to play sports because my, my two girls thus far have shown very little interest in anything. I've, I've got my four year, four year old out hitting wiffle balls in the backyard, maybe once every week or so. And that's, that's a big win for me. Um, my second daughter seems to show a little bit more agility and interest in sports. So I'm hoping that's the case, but I know they, they, they kind of lead that train. I, at this point, I'd be happy if they played anything. I think I'm asking you this because I want to know if I'm crazy because I've already in my head started picking out the sports that I want MJ to play and the activities. And I've been trying to roll balls to her like at a very early, you know, yeah. trying to get her used to, you know, looking at a ball, going a hoop and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. I'm a little maybe I'm overboard on the sports. I don't know. But <laughs> well, if there's anything like me, it's not which sports. It's just all the sports. It's it's whatever yeah. sports available. That's that's what I was doing when I was a kid. So, Yeah. It's interesting, like though, and we won't digress too much, but now they get specialized really early. These yeah, games, way too know, early. In terms of, yeah, I, I'm with you. You got you got to play a bunch of different ones and see where it is. But anyway, uh, see what I did. I just I always make this about me. Why do I do that? It's about you. Congratulations, my friend. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Steve. Certainly an amazing Costanza Corner. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back uh, with a new episode shortly. This is the whole truth. Thanks for listening. You can find The Whole Truth and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. And for more episodes of The Whole Truth, go to www.touchstoneinvestments.com slash thewholetruth. 
That's touchstoneinvestments.com slash the whole truth, all one word. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.